0: Well, as you all have already heard, next Sunday will be the Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. And we're going to do something a little unusual this year. We're actually going to walk through the Passover Seder. This is next Sunday on Easter. If you've ever been to a Passover Seder, you've seen how it tells the story of God's great redemption for the people of Israel as they were brought out of Egypt. But in it is also our story of redemption. This is where our communion service comes from. And there is a foreshadowing of the death and resurrection of Christ in the Passover. So come next Sunday, not only to celebrate uh, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, but to see the story of God's uh, great redemption as we celebrate uh, adding that additional service at 1245. So if some of y'all are able to come to that, you could go to an early brunch and then uh, join us for that service if you're able. Well, today we're going to be picking up our story uh, that we've been walking through. We had two great weeks in our missions conference, but we're coming back to the story in the life of Joseph. And so I invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 41, where we are going to pick up. uh, Last time we left off, Joseph was in the prison in Egypt. You'll remember that we were in God's waiting room as Joseph was there in prison. He had been put there. Uh, wrongly falsely accused by Potiphar's wife she accused him of an attempted rape but the truth of the matter was Joseph was a man of integrity and he refused to sleep with his master's wife and he ended up thrown into prison he was there for many years when two of Pharaoh's officials were thrown into the same prison Joseph was put over them Each of them had a dream, which you'll recall he correctly interpreted with God's help. He told the baker, in three days, you will be put to death. But he told the cupbearer, you will be restored in three days, put back into the palace alongside Pharaoh, uh, where you will again serve the king. And he said, when you get there, remember me, just mention me to Pharaoh. But he forgot about Joseph. And this is where our story picks up today as chapter 41 begins in verse 1 by telling us that two full years have passed. Joseph has been forgotten for two full years. That's over 700 days. Think about that. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, Joseph wakes up in the same dingy dungeon, in those dark corridors, uh, just waiting He's there, and he says, nothing is happening. But as we've seen, everything was happening. Because as we talked about in a previous message, it was there that God was at work preparing Joseph. God had been at work preparing Joseph in every step along the way of his journey. From the time he was 17 and sold into slavery to this moment, God had been at work. And while Joseph thought nothing was happening, something was happening. In fact, something Joseph knew nothing about is that very night... Before this morning, Pharaoh had had a dream. He actually had two dreams, as we see in verses 2 through 7. Now, I'll summarize the dreams here because we'll see them in a moment. But what happened is Pharaoh uh, saw seven fat and plump cows coming up out of the Nile River. Now, this was nothing unusual. The Nile was the thing that made the land of Egypt so fertile. It would overflow its banks each year, and it would deposit rich silt, and it would water the crops of the land. And the cows would, would, you know, often be in the river because it would save them from the heat and the flies and the other things that could bother them. So as Pharaoh sees seven fat cows coming up out of the river, this was no big deal. But then soon, seven thin and gaunt, emaciated bags of bones cows come up out of the river after them. And they devour these seven fat cows. And it says they, they don't even gain any weight. And, and this kind of bothers Pharaoh. I mean, that, that's the kind of dream that you have where you wake up in a cold sweat. Have you ever had one of those dreams? And so he's disturbed. He wakes up. Now, he manages to go back to sleep, and he has a second dream where he sees uh, a stalk of grain. And, and you see the, the picture of abundance because there are seven fat and full heads of grain on this stalk. But then he sees uh, another stalk that appears, And these are empty-headed stalks that are scorched by an east wind, and they swallow up the seven fat grains. Now, Pharaoh, as morning comes, calls together all his advisors. We're told that he brings together the brain trust. His advisors, the magicians, we think of magicians as street performers or people like that, but they were actually the scholars of the day. They were the learned uh, folks who had studied and, and knew things. And so he brings together the brain trust and says that no one is able to interpret the dreams. Now, remember, the cupbearer to the king is part of this council. So he's right there in the room. And at that moment, the light comes on for the guy. And he goes, oh, yeah. There's a guy by the name of Joseph who interpreted dreams for me and the baker. And the guy takes a little risk and he says, uh, you know, Pharaoh, um, he says in verses 9 through 13, I have a little confession to make. You see, there's this man I failed to mention to you. And he was able to interpret the baker's dreams. Do you remember when you were mad at us and and you had the other guy killed and I was restored and big smile on his face, you know, Pharaoh, you know, I'm on your good side. But there's this man, Joseph, and he can interpret dreams. Pharaoh goes, what are we waiting for? Get this guy, bring him out. Now, Joseph is there in the dungeon. Suddenly the door swings open. They come in and they say, come with us. And Joseph is brought up, remember, he's been in this pit for years, and he's brought up above ground for the first time in years. Can you imagine how blinding the sun would have been? I mean, he's been in darkness for, for years, and suddenly this, the sun is just blinding. His his pale skin, he feels the warmth, and he's like, oh, this is so nice. He, he takes in a breath of air, and it's the first time he's, he's smelling uh, air that isn't you know, stagnant and moist from the dungeon. And, and he, he just wants to linger there for a moment. But they say, you don't have time for this. And they take him into a room. They say, you're about to go before the king. Now, the Egyptians like to be clean shaven. And and you can imagine, you know, the, the duck dynasty beard Joseph has grown while he's been there in the prison. So this, you know, massive people are swirling around. They give him a bath. They shave him. They put new clothing on him. Now, clothing has been a big part of Joseph's story. Remember, he started out with this this multicolored royal robe that his father gave him as the favorite son, and that had been stripped away from him. And then as he promoted up the line in, in Potiphar's house, the, the captain of the bodyguard, the guy where, where he had become the chief servant. So he was wearing the nicest clothes that servants in that day could wear. And it was that robe that Potiphar's wife stripped from him as he ran out of her bedroom and she used it to falsely accuse him. And now Joseph gets this new robe put on him, probably the nicest clothes he's, he's had in years. And as he wears this, I wonder where his mind went. Did he, did he say, gosh, this reminds me of Potiphar's house of the clothes I wore. Maybe his his father's robe that he's wearing. But the, the new clothes signify that the story is about to take a change. Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. He's there in verse 15. It says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I have heard, I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now, Put yourself in, in Joseph's place for just a moment. You're standing there before Pharaoh. There's, there's all the officials of the court. You're in this nice new robe. You've had a bath. You, you've been shaven. You smell good for the first time in a long time. And, and you're standing there. What, are you having a little self-talk with yourself where you're saying, okay, buddy, don't blow it. I mean, here's your chance. This guy thinks you're the man. And so whatever you do, you, 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 you know, just don't mess it up, Joseph. Tell, tell Pharaoh, yeah, I'm your guy. But instead of promoting himself, look at what he says in verse 16. Joseph says, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And, and, and you're thinking, oh, fumble. No, no, Joseph. I mean, Joseph could have sat there and said, look, <laughs> God really hasn't been doing much for me in 13 years, has he? I mean, at the age of 17, I get thrown into a pit by my brother, stripped of a robe, sold into slavery. I get carried to this land I knew nothing about called Egypt. I'm sold into slavery to this guy named Potiphar, who's this official in Pharaoh's court. I'm the lowest of the slaves. I work my way up. I try to be a man of integrity, live for God. And what does it get me? It gets me uh, thrown into a pit again. And so then he says, uh, God really hasn't been coming through for me. And as he's thinking about others who maybe can help him, he's, he's going, looking around the room, and who is standing by Pharaoh? There, there's the cupbearer to the king. Remember him? The guy that forgot him for two years. You can imagine he's kind of giving Joseph the little wave. Hey, uh, better late than never, right, Joseph? You know. And, and, and there's Potiphar. He's remember, he's the chief bodyguard, he's the head of the secret service, so he's also standing by Pharaoh. And Joseph's going, Yeah, I served you faithfully and your wife, she lied, and and I know you kind of helped me out by not killing me, but you know, prison hasn't been that much better than death. And so he's standing there going, You know, God hasn't been helping me, you guys haven't been helping me. Maybe it's time for me to help myself. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Have you ever been going along and saying, you know, God, I've really tried to serve you faithfully. I've been faithful in in, in giving to you and serving you and and in doing the things you want. What has it gotten me? I haven't gotten anywhere at work. Maybe work has been hard. Maybe that man or woman, that boy or girl you were interested in, uh, as you tried to put God first in the relationship, it made that person run away instead of uh, making it the relationship that you knew it should be. It could be that whatever you've trusted God for doesn't seem to be coming through. And so you think, you know, at that moment, why? Why why should I continue to follow God? I mean, have you ever watched these interviews on TV? They'll get somebody on TV. And if the person rants and raves about how great they are, if they're all about self-promotion, boy, the camera keeps rolling and the reporter just keeps the mic in their face. But what happens at the first mention of God? If the athlete wants to say, I give all glory to Jesus, all of a sudden the feed is cut, right? I mean, the interview's over. There's nothing more that they want to say. But what happens here is Joseph says, you know, I'm going to rightly choose to have the courage and say only God can help Pharaoh in what he needs to know. Now, how many of us have that same courage? How many of us in those times, uh, we say, you know, listen, you need to know this is what God wants you to know about your own life. Or, you know, if you meet me and forget about me, it's no big deal. But if you never meet God or you forget about him, it affects your eternal destiny. There's somebody's uh, hearing aid battery going out again. So if you have that, you might check. If you're near the person, just kind of tap them on the shoulder. I'm hearing the, the battery going out here. Uh, In verses 17 through 24, Pharaoh tells Joseph in his dreams this. It says that uh, verses 17 through 24, Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams and then this is the interpretation that Joseph gives in verses 25 through 32. It says, Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven uh, good cows Uh, The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that have come up out of them are seven years. And the seven thin ears are scorched by the east wind. Those will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come. And all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be uh, unknown in the land because of the subsequent famine. For it will be uh, very severe. Joseph then adds this advice in verses 33 through 36. Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God. And God will quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take uh, action and appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let him gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority And let them guard it. Let the food become a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now, as we look at these dreams, there's a very specific application in the time of of Joseph while he's there in Pharaoh in Egypt. But in it, we find a principle that applies to all of us here. And that principle for us is that we should be putting away resources of our own. In those times where we have a, a period of abundance, where there may be a lifted or blessed season in our life, uh, are you putting away a reserve, whether it's for a time of emergency, whether it's for a time of retirement, whether it's for a time where maybe you would have uh, resources to bless somebody else who may have a need? In Proverbs twenty-one 20, we're told, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil but a foolish man devours all that he has. He devours all that he has. You see, I know that there are seasons in many of our lives where we say, you know, Roger, I'm doing the best I can just to make ends meet. In fact, I don't even have enough to meet basic needs. And I understand there may be those times where it could be that you may have the best of budgets But then some unexpected emergency or expense comes along and it hammers your budget and and wipes out the reserve and and then some. But often we create our own crisis, don't we? We don't delay gratification for something. We've gotten ourselves in a hole we shouldn't have uh, gotten into. We find ourselves in in a position where we're constantly moving our standard of living up, whether it's because of a friend, a neighbor, or a family member who's doing the same. Or we say, hey, I've worked hard to get to where I am. And, you know, I got that that raise or that bonus, and I'm going to spend it all. And in those times, what we should do is maybe ask ourselves, do I need to notch it up one more time? Or can I maintain where I am and take the extra and put that away as a reserve? As, as we look at what happens with Joseph here, he's told to put away 20% of all that is coming in. Now, 20 percent's a big number. And you may say, you know, I, I can't do that, Roger. Let me ask you, can you do 1%? Can you look at what your income is and can you take just, if, if you're saving nothing at the moment, can you say, you know, I'm doing nothing, maybe $5 a week. Skip one meal and put that $5 into, into a, a, an account move up to 1% of your overall income and then the next year as you've gotten to that 1% mark make it 2 and then the year after make it 3 each year add a percent or 2% to it so that you're able to begin to to put away a reserve if you get a bonus if you get an unexpected gift rather than going out and spending it move that over into the reserve that was money uh, that you didn't have before now I'm not saying don't ever uh, reward yourself don't go and do nice things or enjoy something but do you really need to spend it all? I mean, the people in Egypt could have said, boy, this is, this is the best we've ever heard. And it's going on year after year. And they could have spent it all, lived large. And then when the seven years of famine came, there would have been nothing left. You know, I teach my kids already at this age, uh, whenever they get any resource, whether it's uh, money that mom and dad gives them or they earn some money for something, we say the first 10% needs to be given to God to honor him. And then you take the next 10% of what you get and, and you put that away in savings. And then we do a matching plan with them. We say, whatever you will put in above that 10%, we will double. And some of you are saying, I'll take that. Yeah, so would I. <laughs> this is for my kids, not y'all. But you can do that. And so what we do is we encourage them to save. And then whatever is left at that point, 80%, they get to spend that on, on things that they want to but what we're doing is training them already at this age that they need to be stewarding their resources. And we as, as, as adults need to be doing the same. Now, as Joseph gives this advice uh, to Pharaoh that you need to appoint somebody to do this, notice again what he does here. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he, he avoids that temptation of self-promotion. He could have easily said, now look, Pharaoh, God gave me the knowledge and you know, God's probably going to give some additional information along the way. So you've got to put me on the payroll or, you know, at least retain me as a consultant. But Joseph doesn't do that. He interprets the dream. He gives the information and he says, uh, I trust God to do what needs to be done. So Pharaoh It tells us in verses 37 through 38, it says, Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of wisdom? I mean, you know, Joseph's standing there. They're all huddled up. There's this huddle, and you can imagine this. And a head pops up every now and then. And then, you know, all of a sudden, all the heads are looking over at Joseph, and he's going, What is going on? Well, here's what's going on. Verses 39 through 45 tell us, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all of this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only only in the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh says to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen. He says, look, the robes you're wearing, these aren't good enough. You need royal robes. Remember the robe he wore that his father gave him? We saw it was a word that was used to describe a royal robe. Well, this is even better than what his dad had given him. This is the best of Egypt. He clothed him in garments of fine linen. He put a gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in the second chariot. And they proclaimed before him, bow the knee and set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph, uh, you say it, Zanaph And he gave him Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over all the land of Egypt. Now, in an instant. Remember, an hour before, Joseph is in the dungeon. It's just another day in the neighborhood. Oh, boy. And all of a sudden, he's standing before Pharaoh... He's clothed. he's given the signet ring, he's promoted to the second in command of the entire land of Egypt. Just an hour before, he had been over the prisoners in the prison and now he's over the entire population of Egypt. God's promotions are sudden and surprising. I mean, here's a man that at the age of 17, he had a dream that he tells his brothers, remember his dream? You guys are gonna bow down to me. And they said, really. And here we see the fulfillment. Not only will his family bow before Joseph, but all of the known world. Pharaoh commands everybody, bow the knee before Joseph. Joseph is promoted and he gets all the perks that come with it. Pharaoh says, look, you got to have a nicer wardrobe than this. And he clothes him in royal garments. He, he covers him in gold and jewels. The most significant is the signet ring. The signet ring was better than the gold or, or platinum credit card. This was the thing that allowed Joseph to tap into all the resources of Egypt. It allowed Joseph to speak for Pharaoh because what they would do is whenever a document was done, they would put... Uh, Wax or clay and he would press this ring into it and it was the signature of Pharaoh. It was as if Pharaoh gave the command himself. So Joseph is speaking as the king of Egypt. He's in charge of everything. Earlier in chapter 39, Potiphar had entrusted Joseph with everything that was in his house. Do you remember that? He said, I I, I concern myself of nothing except what I'm going to eat. And here Pharaoh says, I'm concerning myself of nothing in the entire land, Joseph. You are in control of everything. And with his position, not only is his clothing changed, you know he was given uh, a royal residence. And he says, you need a family And, and you need a car. And so he gives them something that would have been a, a modern-day Lamborghini. He is given a chariot that is second only to pharaohs. I mean, you're talking a very nice ride. And so he says, you've got a company car, you've, you've got a, a mansion, and you need, you need a wife. And so he gives Joseph a wife. Now, her name is Aseneth, and her, her the root of it is the, the goddess of Egypt named Neth. And so her name literally means belonging to Neth. And we see her family line. She is the daughter of the priest who, whose name means Ra gives. Ra was the sun god of Egypt. And so this is the highest priest in the land. And so he's married into, he's not only given a royal position, he's married into royalty. And now I know at the moment, some of you are thinking, you're not supposed to marry unbelievers. No, we're not. But this is Pharaoh telling Joseph, you know, this is an arranged marriage. She's your wife. Now, we're going to see in a moment that while Joseph had no control over whom he married, he did have a control in his home as to who would be worshipped. And it will be the true God, Yahweh. He will hold on to his Hebrew heritage. Now, Pharaoh gives Joseph this name, Zanaph Pana, and it means God lives and speaks. God lives and speaks. Now, it's very significant because in Egyptian culture, Pharaoh was thought to be a God himself. Remember that? And so, this supposed God, Pharaoh, says, Hey, I acknowledge that there is a true God, that there is some God out there who sees things that I don't see. Joseph, the God whom you serve, he lives and he speaks. And so every time anybody said Joseph's name they were hearing God lives and speaks. Now as we look at what's happening with Joseph God not only knew what was coming but he he knew what was coming in the life of Joseph. I mean remember he's been 13 years in process with God but none of it has been wasted. Because Joseph at the age of 17 was over in the land of Canaan as a young Hebrew boy who was the favorite son in a home, but he knew nothing about Egypt. And God says, I'm going to need you to be over the entire land of Egypt to not only preserve your family, but all of the known world for a famine that is coming that would be over 20 years from that moment, because Joseph is 17, there's going to be 14 years in addition to the 13 years. So if you're doing all the math here, what, what it tells us is that that moment Joseph was promoted, the text tells us very clearly, Joseph was 30 years old. So he was 17 when he sold into slavery. He shows up in the land of Egypt where he learns the language God makes sure he's bought by a man who is an official in Pharaoh's court so that he not only learns the language, but he can learn the protocols of what it means to be around Pharaoh and the officials. And then he's put into a prison where he oversees the prison as well as being over all of uh, potiphar's home where do you think joseph as a 17 year old kid was going to learn uh people management skills and systems that were needed to manage resources and things would he learn that in his father's house or did god need to put him into places where he would be stretched and learned and learn systems that would then be able to be scaled up to be able to oversee all of the land of egypt and so you see joseph didn't know what god was doing every step of the way but god did And he said, I'm training you. I'm refining you. Remember Joseph? He was this cocky 17-year-old kid who, who shot off at the mouth and told his brothers and dad, yeah, I'm the man. Well, he's learned humility over those 13 years. And now as he's elevated to that position as second in command, he not only has the humbleness and humility that is needed not to challenge Pharaoh who is over him but he also has the skills that are needed to begin to collect and store the resources and manage the distribution and to oversee the diversity of people that he's now going to command. And so God has been at work in his life as he's been in these waiting rooms. And some of you here this morning are in a waiting room right now. And while you may not see what God is doing, God is at work. God is at work in our lives, preparing us for what is to come, even if we don't know what it is. And so right now, some of you are experiencing very hard times and you go, why? And what God says is, this is a refining process where I'm, I'm burning away the dross, I'm breaking the chains to your past, and I'm preparing you like choice gold that will come out of the fire that will be more precious. He's preparing us many times when we don't know what he is doing. And our job is to do what Joseph did, to hold on to God, And to serve him faithfully where he has us at the moment. As Joseph takes his new assignment, verses 47 through 49 tell us, that Joseph sets about the work of collecting and storing the grain as those years of plenty are taking place. There was so much coming in. The text tells us they couldn't even keep track of it. They were inventing new numbers. It's kind of like our national deficit except in the other direction, in a good way. They're accumulating so much, they're having to make up new numbers to to account for all that is being stored. And as the reserves in the storehouse are growing, we see that his family does as well. Look at verses 50 through 52. Now, before the year of famine came, so we're into the seventh year about here, it says two sons were born to Joseph, whom Asinah, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He named the second Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now here we see by giving Hebrew names, he doesn't buy into the false religion of his family. He's got a father-in-law who's the high priest of the sun god. He has a daughter named after one of the pagan goddesses uh, of Egypt. He's been given a, a name and he's under Pharaoh. And yet he says, in my home, my kids are going to be known by Hebrew names, by names that point to the true God, Yahweh, Jehovah. And the names he chose were significant, not only because they were Hebrew, but because of what they mean. The name Manasseh, his firstborn literally means God has made me forget. God has made me forget. Now, what he doesn't forget here, friends, is the affliction, the famine in his own life, the grief and the hurt he has gone through. In, in a coming sermon, we're going to talk about what it means to forgive. And we're going to see that forgiveness, which some people wrongly say means you forget. Forgiveness is not forgetting. But what forgiveness is, and what Joseph does here, is he says, I'm not going to be made a prisoner to the past. And so what Joseph forgets here, what he erases from his mind, the memories are still there. When he deals with his brothers, he's going to remind them, yeah, do you remember when you threw me in the pit? He doesn't forget that. When it says he's forgotten all that stuff, what he's forgotten is the pain that has crippled him. You know, Joseph will have a chance to get even with his brothers. When they show up before him, he's the guy. He's the ruler under Pharaoh. He could have very easily wiped them out, made them slaves, done whatever. And as you're talking about him being promoted, I mean, remember the two guys in the palace, Potiphar and the cupbearer? What would you be thinking when suddenly Joseph became your boss? Would you be going, oh no? If you were Mrs. Potiphar, the one who had falsely accused Joseph, are you thinking, what is he going to do to my husband? He's going to lose his job. We're going to be put out. I'm going to be destitute on the street. I mean, everybody could have worried about what Joseph would do. But what Joseph said is, look, this isn't a chance to get even, it's a chance to do what God wants me to do. As he deals with his brothers, as he deals with the past hurts, as he deals with these people who have hurt him, he says, this isn't a time to get even. Friends, if you're the type of person that's always trying to get even with somebody, do you realize what it means is you're never going to get ahead? If you spend your whole life trying to get even, you never get ahead. And what God says is, why do you want to waste your life digging into the past and, and trying to hurt people who hurt you? If you're spending your time trying to get even, you're the one who's going to be miserable. Again, we'll talk more about this in an upcoming sermon on forgiveness. But one important part of the process, which we see Joseph doing here, is where he says, I'm not going to be held prisoner to the pain of the past. And as he holds this baby boy, as as he's holding his firstborn son, he says, God has manassed me it's a name, but it can be used as a verb. He says, God has manasseh me. He's caused me to forget, to forget the affliction, the pain. Now, it's kind of ironic because every time he would call the name Manasseh, what would it do? It would remind him that he says, I forgot. Manasseh, oh yeah, I forgot. But what we're going to see is what he remembers in those moments is how God used the hard things to, to, to help him. I mean, think about it this way. Do any of you have a scar on your body? I've got several, and this is in a time. Story. Yeah, let me show you my scar. You know, scars are things that are there when we hurt ourselves or when we've had a disease and we go in and, and there's surgery and the doctor cuts us in order to heal us. And those things are painful And every time you see a scar on your body, you remember, oh, yeah, that was that time I I did that dumb thing and jumped off the roof and I, you know, or, or something else happened. And what a scar does is it not only reminds us of the pain of the past, but think about it this way. A scar also reminds us that healing has happened, right? It means we survived, We could have been killed by that dumb thing we did. We could have died from that disease. But the scar is there to remind us not only of the pain of the past, but that healing has happened. And this is the perspective Joseph chooses to take. He says, when I remember the pain of the past, I don't linger on the hurt. Instead, I want to be reminded of the healing that has happened. I want to see what God has done, how He used those those hard 13 years to prepare me and to bring me to this place. And some of you this morning are in a place where you need a Manasseh moment, where you need to say to God, God, I've been holding on to something from the past, some pain in my life, some hurt from the past. And God, would you Manasseh me? Would you make me forget? Would you release me from the pain of the past? Do you need a Manasseh moment? This is what Joseph does. It doesn't mean we ignore the past. Rather, it means we choose to focus on the other side of the story. A few weeks ago, I shared the story of uh, the 13 years of infertility that my wife and I walked through. And how we waited and we prayed and we wondered, God, what are you doing? Why won't you give us children? As, as each month passed and there were no babies, as we tried to foster, as we tried to adopt, as every door was closed, we said, God, why? What are you doing? And when God blessed us with our children, when our first baby was born, she was a little girl and we named her Sarah Elizabeth. What we did with each of our children is we, we gave them names from the Bible that were people who were barren in the Bible because we wanted to be reminded, not that we would need a reminder, But we wanted to be reminded of the good side of the story, of God's grace. Sarah was Abraham's wife, who was barren for all those years. Elizabeth is the the wife of Zacharias, who was John the Baptist's mother. So our first daughter, we named Sarah Elizabeth. Our next daughter is named Hannah. You know her story from the first and second Samuel, and how she went through a time of barrenness, and she prayed, and she was given that son Samuel, which she devoted to the Lord. And so our other daughter is Hannah, and then along came our son, Zachary, and we named him after Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, who was the man who walked through all those years of infertility with Elizabeth as well. So all of our children's names are stories of God's grace, and every time we say their names, we're reminded of the other side of the story. And this is what God calls on us to do. He asks us throughout the scriptures, he told his people to set up Ebenezer's. Have you ever sang that, song, that hymn about your Ebenezer and you're going, what is that? Well, an Ebenezer was a stone of remembrance that he commanded the people to set up. So whenever they would pass that place, whenever they would see that, they would remember. God gave ceremonies throughout the scripture. I told you next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the Passover Seder at Easter. And that was a story given to the nation of Israel there in Egypt to remind them of their redemption. Every year, the Jews, even to this day, 2,000 years later, are celebrating the story of redemption. So they are reminded every year. And out of that story of redemption for Egypt came our story of redemption. You see the front of this table says, do this in remembrance of me. Our communion service comes right out of the story of Passover. We have the cross of Christ which is our story of redemption that reminds us of God's great love for us in that he died to save us from our sins. What are the Ebenezers in your life? Do you have any stones of remembrance you're setting up? Sometimes you go through very hard times where, where you wonder, where is God? What is he doing? And you see, he seems not to be present, but if you will journal in your life and you will write down the times where God showed up in a big way, where he met a need. You will have those journals. So in the dry times where you're wondering, where is God? You can go back and read and be reminded of where God was. Take pictures of places, bring home mementos from things where God showed up in a big way so that when you see those, you're reminded If you're here today and what you're reminded of in your life is the pain of the past, somebody who hurt you, what God says is you need to be reminded of his grace to look to the cross of Christ and remember that God saved us, that he forgave us when we hurt him through our sin. In Romans 5.20, we're told, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. You see, God forgave us. And as those who have been forgiven, are we willing to forgive others? As we think of God and his grace, God continued to show that to Joseph because he blesses him with a second son whom he named Ephraim. Now, the name Ephraim literally means fruitful, more specifically, double fruit. So as Joseph has given this second baby, as he holds it, he says, God has Ephraimed me. He's doubly blessed me. He's, he's given me a second son. You know, here has been a land that is, in, in Joseph's mind, he could have said, this has been a place of affliction. It's been a place of suffering. I mean, what good has come out of Egypt? But instead what he says is, what good has come out of Egypt? I was rejected by my brothers who sold me into slavery, and now I have two brothers, two sons. God is Ephraim me. He's doubly blessed me. As you look at your life, what do you focus on? The pain of the past or the blessings? The ways that God has come through, how he's Manasseh and Ephraim Jew. And this is what Joseph does. Now, as Joseph moves into this new season of life, everything looks like it's going to be smooth sailing ahead. But in it is a hidden danger. And you see, this is something that some of us here this morning need to hear. You may be sitting here this morning saying... Roger, this is a great message for other people, but my life is good right now. Everything's going great. And the danger for those who are in a lifted season where everything looks like smooth sailing ahead is some will hold on to God in their time of affliction, but they forget God in their time of affluence. You see, it's easy when we're afflicted, when we're desperate, when we're in the pit to say, I need you, God. But when we get promoted to the palace, sometimes in our affluence, we forget who God is. Joseph was a man that stood at a a precipice of a cliff that he could have stepped over. J. Oswald Sanders once said, not every man can carry a full cup. Isn't that a great picture? Not every man can carry a full cup. You know, they may spill it, it may be too much for them. And Joseph was a man who had not only a full cup, but one that was overflowing and blessing. And at this moment, he could have very easily forgotten God. He was promoted to the highest place in Egypt. He's around pagan people. He's given this name. Pharaoh says, you're the guy. Joseph could have just said, this is it. But what Joseph realized is, God has given me affluence and influence to be used for his glory, not mine. As we look at the story of Joseph in the weeks that are to come, what we will see is how Joseph will serve, how Joseph will serve others. He was a man like Paul. Paul said in Philippians 4.11, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. The secret to living, whether it's a little or a lot, is the same. It comes from staying close to God. And remembering that all that we have is from him. Everything we have from the breath we breathe for this day to the the resources that we've been given to the talents that we have, it all belongs to God. And Joseph was a man who recognized this. And as he's promoted to the palace, he doesn't forget about God. Instead, he finds ways to use his position of influence and affluence to serve others, whether it's Pharaoh, his master, or the poor people of the world that are coming and saying, we need food. Joseph will provide for them because of the position God has placed them in. Joseph had the trappings of a high office, but he wasn't pompous. He didn't abuse his authority. Few, if any of us, will ever have the position The power and influence that Joseph possessed at this moment. But all of us here have the same principle to apply in our lives, recognizing that wherever we are, whatever we have has been given to us by God. And He's given it to us to serve Him first and foremost and then others. So as you find yourself today, whether it's in a place of affliction, hold on to God. If you find yourself in a place of affluence, hold on to God. In those times where you're promoted, in those times where you're given credit for something, do you grab it for yourself? Do you, do you want to self-promote? Or do you do as Joseph did and say, you know, this is from God. God is the one who allows me to do what I do. Don't be false and have this, this bogus humility, but, but give God the credit and say, God, I recognize this is from you and I am thankful. And I want to use the position you've given me, the place you've put me for your glory and not mine. You know, every time someone said Joseph's new name, they were saying God lives and sees. May we live our lives in a way that whenever people look at us, they say God lives and I see him in your life. Will you join me please as we close in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, for your great blessing in our life the way you have Ephraim to all of us, that you've made us fruitful and doubly blessed us. Lord God, even the poorest of the poor among us is richer than the vast majority of the world. And it's easy, Lord. I I confess at times to look around at the world and say, uh, I'd like a little more. And yet, God, you've given me more, more than I could ever uh, deserve. So thank you. May I and the others here honor you with what you've blessed us. And Lord God, for those who are here this morning that are dealing with the pain of the past, would you help us, Lord, those who need a Manasseh moment to turn to you now to say, God, I've been carrying hurt, I, I need to let go of. And would you bring healing, Lord, to their hearts and minds this morning? And Father, for all of us, we want to thank you for your forgiveness for us. Lord, you didn't just Manasseh us and forget our sin, but you covered it. You met our need the only way it could be met, through that of your own son that you gave to us to die in our place. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for that great gift of life. Today, Lord, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, the day where you made that triumphal entry, uh, you could have seized the throne. You could have said, I am the rightful king, but You knew, Lord, before the palace, before the crown that belonged to the king of kings, there had to come the cross. There had to be the pit. And you willingly went into that place, that place of death, that place of suffering. And we thank you, Lord God, that we get to celebrate next week that you didn't remain there, but you came out of the pit and you were promoted to the place of king of kings and Lord of lords. So we worship you today and thank you for your great gift of new life. Father, send us out now as your men and women, your boys and girls, your servants, so that others could see God indeed lives and he indeed speaks in and through us. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. There are prayer leaders at the front. If you have a need to pray with somebody, they would love to do that with you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.